This is the Food About Town podcast. My name's Chris Lindstrom. I'm your host. This week on the podcast, which is episode 24, I talked to John Vito, formerly of Obegalos on State Street, and Baked and Carved, formerly on East Avenue. John's a fascinating guy. He has a website called foodandstories.com where he shares tales from his days of being a restaurant owner, uh, some of the colorful characters from his time there, uh, one of which is him, is himself, that's for sure. And we, we talked a, bit, a little bit about both of the restaurants, about bagels, about sandwiches, uh, about being a business owner. And then at the end, uh, since he's an opinionated guy just like I am, we talked about a couple um, couple topics of the day. So I hope you enjoy. And it looks like next week is going to be our condiments podcast. So please tune in next week and enjoy. A good evening. Uh, do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control as to bring you this special show. Uh, we will return it to you as soon as you are grooving. A welcome to station W-E-F-U-N-K, better known as We Funk, or deeper still, the Mothership Connection, home of the extraterrestrial brothers, dealers of funky music, P-Funk, Uncut Funk, The Bomb. Coming to you directly from the Mothership, top of the chocolate Milky Way, 500,000 kilowatts of P-Funk power. So kick back, dig, while we do it to you in your eardrums. For me, I'm known as Lollipop Man, alias the long-haired sucker. My motto is... Everybody, um, I am here with another random guest on the Food About Town podcast, and uh, his name is John Vito. Say hi, John, once you're done with your water. <laughs> and I'm going to cough a little. <laughs> uh, hi there, hi there. I'm here. Hello, Larry. So I've been following John for a while, and I'd heard about him, and so we're going to go into your background a little bit at first, just so people are familiar with who you are. Um, start at the beginning. At least from what my understanding of the beginning is, sure. was a bagel shop on was that State Street? It was on State Street. That was called Obagalos, if I remember correctly. Yeah, nice job. Um, <laughs> so when when did that start? Uh, well, the planning started in around, around um, late '89, maybe. And uh, what we did is, I built a, I wrote a business plan in grad school, and mm-hmm. I had just because it was part of my classwork. And what happened uh, was I had an incident occur that uh, broke a thumb. I couldn't take this job. I had nothing going, so I followed through with the business plan and opened up this bagel shop. Interesting. Yeah. So what what, what year was that approximately? The, it, we opened in 1991. So we did a little construction late 90, and we actually got the store open, excuse me, in March 91, the exact day that the ice storm hit Rochester. See, I mean, that was well before my time here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was in a... I was in elementary school in <laughs> Buffalo at the time. Yeah, we don't uh, need to go into age here, God. Do <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was like March third, fourth, okay. and that was our Monday opening. Wow! And the for two weeks, the entire city was in a state of emergency. No one was working. No one was downtown, and that was after about four months at least of preparation and build out, build out, yeah. build out, and the signs and everybody waiting, walking by. Hey, when you opening? You know, <sighs> and then bang, the ice storm hit. So probably should have. You know, thought of that as an omen, but we yeah. we, we went forward anyway. <laughs> so, bagels. I mean, we're 
so one the reason I'm, I'm familiar with John, other than one of the restaurants I used to go to, uh, is he has a website called Food Food and Stories. Food and Stories. You know, we kind of combined. We got rid of the A and the D of and. And that was way, just, way too much typing. It wasn't available. And you know, <laughs> that, that was it. So you just kind of find something as you're poking around. Then sure. the, the idea was blossoming. So we, we were sitting at the computer doing that, um, the, my friend who helped me. And that's what we came up with. Yeah, so <clears throat> he'd been writing these along with recipes from his restaurant days. But these just phenomenal detailed stories wow. about... like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're, 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 they're colorful stories. You've got people that used to come into the shop. You've got, you know, friends of yours. Some are poignant, some are hilarious, and they're some of the better stories I'd read in a while. Well, thank you. That's, that's very nice of you to say. Uh, and I, I love engaging writing, so it just it made me want to talk to you. And some of the stories are, you know, about the shop, right? Because it's right across, right next to where Pizza Stop is, right? Yep, we were on the same block and had shared many of the same customers. Uh, he opened a few years before I did. <clears throat> and uh, he and I both uh, lasted, I think, the longest mm-hmm. before I had to close down. Mm-hmm. So let's go into the shop a little bit. Sure. So some of the stories that I read, it kind of made you come across. I mean, you wrote it, so you made I yourself know, I come did. across. I, and I hate it, but I'm glad. I know where you're going. <laughs> uh, you, you came across as the, you know, the, I don't know, the, the mid-90s soup Nazi stereotype kind of guy. A little bit here and there. Yeah, maybe more than a little, from what the customers told me. You sure. Know, I, I'm still uh, on the fence. Yeah. I'm still taking in data to decide if that's <laughs> accurate. Well, I mean, I, I can see I can see it from both sides. So one of the one of the parts on there was bagels with cream cheese. Right. Not a small amount of cream cheese. Yeah, that that was a lot of a lot to do with marketing. There was two things that went on with that. One is that we. My, I had a partner when I opened, and he's a guy that I went to college with. He came up, and he stayed about two years before he wanted to get out. And we both went to school in Potsdam, and there's a little place up there that we all went to. And we kind of mimicked some items, maybe two or three items from that, and that was one of them. I would love to take credit for that. Sure. But what we did recognize was that it was a beautiful <laughs> marketing technique. And so to push people to the limit and just say, well, no, that's just the way we do it and force it on them, they could just take it off, and it certainly oh, sure. was waste. But it was better than spending money at that point in marketing because we didn't know how it would work. And uh, we kind of wanted to make a statement, and that was a pretty good statement, and it worked. And eventually we actually changed it. We, we Several years, probably two years later, I, I put in a, a policy in of three different levels, and we use it political, you know, conservative, <laughs> uh, liberal, and Democrat, Republican in the yeah. middle, you know, so that we just, just as a joke. And then we just, so we had, you could get whatever you wanted, yeah. you know, and that was fine. Yeah. But I, <clears throat> I do love that kind of stuff when people decide that, Hey, it's this way and there's no fighting it. doesn't matter how much you fight, you're getting it one way or the yeah. other. And that's kind of the, I mean, we weren't chefs, <laughs> but it was the arrogant, of, you know, it was a time when you could be that kind of arrogance if you sure. want to call it that, but it was really marketing. It was really just to say, look, do it, try it our way. Try it our way. Try it our way. And mm-hmm. you, know, you, you survive or you die by it. You know? Yeah. And it seemed, seemed like, you know, from of everything I've ever heard was the place was actually did pretty well. We did well for many, there. many years. You know, out of a, in a 20-year run, I'd say 15 of them were great. And then, you know, things changed in the neighborhood significantly as Codex started to uh, dissipate and, mm-hmm. and downsize. So it got a little rough. And uh, that kind of sparked the next uh, restaurant that I worked on and got going. Okay. Well, bef- before we go over yeah, to that, you know, just... so 
bagels are shadowing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bagels are an interesting topic because a lot of people have a lot of opinions on where their favorite bagel is. Sure. In Rochester. Just like any food, right? Yeah, of course. And, you know, I have strong opinions about just about every food that I know of. Good. Uh, (laughs) I like opinions. So bagels are tough. I don't like basically every bagel I've had in Rochester. I have a favorite still. Okay. I, I my favorite is Bagel Land for what they're doing right now. Okay. I think they're getting the closest to that that crackly crust. Mm-hmm. You know, the tender inside, not too dense, not too airy. But I'm I'm not sure anybody really gets to that ideal, you know, that those micro bubbles on the outside where it gets really you know, that crackle crispness on the outside. I, I often wonder if it's uh, in part due to the market here. Yeah. In other words, what people want here is a scaled-down version of that New York style. Sure. What they demand in New York is that particular dense product on the inside, very chewy and crusty on the outside. Right. I'm not so sure that uh, people here like them that way. Yeah. You know, so you got to do a little bit of tailoring to your... To your product, and that's sure. that's the case. I what what was what was your style? Was it well? See, we we originally planned on making them from scratch, but everything we wanted to do fell through, just like the ice storm crushing our mm. business. So we ended up doing something, and I and you know we were pretty open about it, but people didn't really care. Is I went to another guy, and I said, "Look, this is what I want to do," and he said, "Well, I've never done that." I said, okay, but this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've never done that. And we went back and (laughs) forth. And so, you know, I'm like, can we try this? Right. And what it was is I said, I want you to make the dough. I love your your products are great. I think you're the closest thing to the stuff that I've seen. And I want you to make the dough, form it, and then freeze it. Mm -hmm. And before it proofs, before, you know, immediately. Because, you know, the process of a bagel is you make your dough. You um, form it through in a machine or by hand into your bagels, and then you retard it, which means to let the, the rising process sl- take place slowly overnight in a cooler, in a cooler, basically, in a 38, 40 degree, 42, depending on what you want, temperature. And then the next day, once they're firm and yet and still have, and have risen in a, you know, a minimum of 12 hours at least, um, then you let them out for a little while, let them rise a little more, let them proof, boil them, then bake them. So that's the process. And all we want him to do is he was making the dough, refrigerating it overnight, and then baking everything. And I said, I want you to freeze it. Then we're going to thaw them, and we're going to do that process in our store. Mm -hmm. And there are some technical parts, so you can't call it a fresh baked. I don't know. There's some fresh dough bagel. Yeah, of course. But, you know, no one, you couldn't tell. And they were very good, and the product came out well. But one of the uh, nice things about that is that he started changing his production completely from the way he used to do it to this process. So his, you could see over the years, his cooler to freezer space started changing and it was huge amounts of freezer space. So now he could be more efficient. He could make a, a lot of bagels, have the, you know, different batches and doughs and pull out say 12 dozen of this and six dozen of that. And you have all the different flavors. Hmm. I'm not going to out him because I don't want anybody to know that he does that. No, and that's fair yeah, enough. Cause I don't know if he tells people he does that. Yeah. We don't want to cause a problem. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about other mystery, yeah, 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 yeah. other <laughs> mystery men later on. Um, but that's, so it's interesting, you know. Long story for you know something that happened, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's that's interesting, and you know, I I know you're you're also a non-toasting. We were in the beginning, and we fought, you know, so hard because what we used to do is bake all. We bake two or three times in the day, mm-hmm. just kind of keep baking all day, and we pump them out as hot and fresh as possible in, in small batches. 
And, you know, the, the worst thing you can do to a bagel, is, if it, that's hot out of the oven, is slice it and toast it. Mm-hmm. You know, it just I used to say, sure, you know, if you want me to make that thing as old and stale as possible as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as I can, no thank you. What else yeah. can I do for you? You know, right. that, would, that was the attitude. Sure. Well, it makes sense because, I mean, the way people essentially, I don't want to say use revitalize, but for a bagel that isn't, it doesn't have that, you know, warm tenderness, you, you want to get some of that, you know, crunch back if it's a little bit old oh, in the day. Absolutely. If it's, it, it's the best way to do it. At the end, you know, once it's cooled down and once it's been sitting, you know, that's understandable. You know, sure. we, we're not opposed to that. But, right. You know, come on. When it's warm from the oven, that's the, you know, that's one of the joys. Yeah. Right out of the oven, any form. Sure. It kind of kind of plays into, you know, really any dough-like product out yeah, of the other yeah. when it comes to pizza or, you know, really nice baked bread or whatever. It's never the same. Donuts. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's, so, yeah, it's never exactly. the same until right. unless it's right out or pretty damn close to right out. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh. So, bagel shop. Did we cover most of it? Uh, yeah, sure. You can cover as much as you want. Okay. You know, I mean, we I, were uh, abrasive. We were uh, curmudgeonly. We had a uh, you know we had all kinds of different adjectives being tossed around about the behavior of our, <laughs> our store, but it was well known, and we had yeah. and, and and the only thing I like to add about that is. <laughs> we weren't I, we and I say that because my partner and I developed a system and then he left and I just kind of carried it on and I think maybe mm-hmm. took it to another level but he's you know we were really busy and a very short amount of time just like any downtown lunch restaurant sure and the way our opinion was very simple is that we wanted to serve as many people as we could as fast as we could to for our benefit and for their benefit we wanted to make money and survive. We wanted them to get in and out as fast as they could for lunch. Mm-hmm. And any interruption, anything that interrupted that was fair game. You're not prepared when you come up to the counter. Who's next? Uh, cell phone in your ear. Piss off. Okay. Yeah. We can swear, can't we? Because oh, of course. You know, get to the back of the line. Right. I, I got in more fights with people and they lost because <laughs> it's my store. And right. You own the it. place. Yeah. Right. So it was that kind of, we just, and then, you know, we continued some of those kind of guidelines as we went on. But, sure. Uh, Anyway, so that's that's kind of the story. I mean, those hooks those hooks do work, exactly. and, and, and especially when you are. I mean, that location. There's so many businesses, and what, what's across the, the courthouse across. There's the, street. Uh, the federal building, and then the old IBM building, which is on stilts. Was they were IBM when we started, and they mm-hmm. made several changes. Kodak down the road, lots of lawyers. City Hall right behind us. Frontier on the other side of the town. So there's plenty of, of concentrated business. At least yeah. there was. Of course. Yeah. And now it's kind of. Kind of, kind of dead over there, really. I go back to the pizza stop because you know they're friends of mine. Sure. And you're right. It's uh, you can park almost any day on the street. There's just not a lot of people. Walking I don't think around. I've ever. I mean, I don't go down at lunch because I, I work, but I've gone down you know after work and you see it's almost always spots and yeah. it's always easy and easiest to get down there. When we did, my partner and I did our uh, my business partner guy. He, he and I did our advanced marketing technique. We sat on the stoop of the IBM building one day. Yeah. At 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And we counted the number of people that walked by that storefront one way for the next hour. And by, or an hour and a half. And, and we stopped counting at like 800. We're like, wait wow. a minute. If 800 people, this is a 90, 1990 now. Wow. So I said, if 800 people have walked by in one day and we can get, you know, 10% and we'll be fine. Right. You can't, you can't find 800 people in, in, all day walking by that store or even sometimes any other part of downtown. downtown. Wow. So I hate to be so down on it, but that's, no, but that, that's, that's the it's, reality. It's a huge change. Right. It really but is. I mean, what is downtown anymore? Downtown isn't a place where people are that much. Sure. And then, you know, with all of the uh, access to computers and, and, and uh, online activity, you don't always need to be there. You know, you can do all your stuff 
business stuff, some of it, you know. Online, oh, yeah. So, anyway. and, and, you know, although a lot of business moved to the suburbs because they wanted more space. They wanted more yeah, of this. They wanted more of that. Because then we'll be bashing the city for an hour. Oh, um, see, this is good. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fine, too. Yeah. You know, they've heard from me over the years. They know there wouldn't be anything new. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've had our battles. So, some of your customers, you, you had a, I mean, in the stories, I don't remember all the details, but you had a lot of interesting relationships with your customers. Seems like you had the, the combative relationship in some ways with the people that weren't around, but with the people that stuck around, it seems like you actually developed a lot of great relationships oh, I did. with yeah. the customers. So, I mean, most of my good friends now, I mean, you, you develop friends throughout your life, but the most current friends mm-hmm. um, are people I've met through the store. Yeah. And, you know, they've been long, you know, 15 year relationships wow. at, at this point. And those are just the current friends. Those aren't even the people I met in grad school or in college or in high school. You know, they're all there too. So right. these are, uh, yeah. You know, you get to you have lunch with someone, you have coffee with someone on a daily basis. Uh, you know, you can uh, you can establish some pretty good relationships. Yeah, I think it tends to ring true, especially with regulars, no matter where you are. Yeah, whether it's your your sandwich spot or, I'm for me, I'm a I'm a coffee I'm a coffee nerd, so I'm mm, I'm a too. I'm a Joe Bean coffee regular. That's that's my place, and I know just about every single person there by name and we can have a real conversation. You don't have to, you don't have to bullshit with people. Right. But you and can if, know who they are and you know a little bit about them. Exactly. There's but a we, great book yeah. called, uh, the great good place. I think it was written by Ray Oldenburg and a friend of mine gave it to me, a friend I met through the store and you know, he's a book nerd and he just thought you got to have this. And, uh, it was spot on for what I was trying to do. And, um, he had this theory called the third place. And the third place is uh, somewhere that's not work and not home, but a social outlet for you, whether it's a hardware store or a bar or a coffee shop or whatever, you know, whatever little thing you go to to get out of the house. And that's what we wanted to create was a, a, a place, a third place for people where they could come in alone, they could sit down, run into people, chat, shoot the breeze, have lunch, come in with friends. And I, you know, and if that, that being one of the goals, I'm pretty sure we were successful. Yeah. I think that's that's a really interesting concept because I, I found that not having heard that before. But I think you need that spot. You need Everybody, that. it's a social need. It's one. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think it's written into Maslow's hierarchy, but I, I I think it's you know something we need. It's definitely one of the general uh, concepts. Yeah, and that that comfortability that it, it's it is something. I I love it, and yeah, I yeah. I try to find. I mean, I do have one. If it's one, it's Chopin Coffee, but it's. Sure being able to go out and be part of something and whether, whether it's, you know, it's that old cheers thing, you know, you're, everybody knows your name. Everybody mm-hmm. knows who you are. It's great. And oh, it is. I, I, I've, I've enjoyed developing those relationships, not just in one place, but you know, all around. And that's one of the reasons I've enjoyed doing this whole thing is because you got to go out and meet all these interesting characters and, and it's, learn about each other. You know, it's more important now than it ever has been because of the um, the amount of time we spend not being social. We have so much at our disposal to entertain ourselves, to learn, to educate ourselves without interacting, that we're losing those skill sets. Yeah, and so to find those to actually pursue them, I think is going to be an important factor. And I think you see more of it now. Um, you know, I, I want. I'm hoping we've had a, a plateau on the bottom. And that we'll see people in their 20s, 30s, 40s start reaching out a little more for some some small social gathering stuff. Sure. Well, hell, I went to one yesterday. Um, on the uh, there's a local Instagram group, uh, uh, Explore Rochester, and there was this 
massive amount of people. It had to be 180, 200 people. Oh, that's fantastic. Over at Poor Coffee Parlor, just all getting together to... Can't fit that many in Poor. No. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> Unless you use the parking lot out yeah. there. I was there. That's one of my coffee shops. Right? Yeah. I love that place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they and they, they opened up the back room. They were they started to rain yesterday. Oh, rain. So it would have been outside, and then everybody jammed <laughs> in there. But it was it was a huge gathering of people, and... It's a little. It was a little bit, at times, out of the demo for me. I mean, I'm not. I'm you know ten years out of my early twenties, but it's still. You see the generation gap. Yep. And sometimes, I, oh, there really is a generation gap now, isn't it? But you need to interact. Oh, of I course. Mean, I, I think that you need to interact with them as much as they need to interact with you. Yeah. You know, every every group of people and. Uh, Maybe the younger ones don't always recognize it and don't always pursue it, but it's really important. You know, we learn from each other. Sure. You know, both, and both ways, you know, and that's important. Yeah, I'm that's always, my sociologist in me that I'm not, you know, another skill that I want to be have that I don't have, but I talk about it anyway like I'm an expert. Man, a- amateur psychiatry and sociology <laughs> oh, I, is some I, I, of the best I'll, stuff. I'll venture down any road. Oh, I, I love that <laughs> <Without> stuff. <laughs> any credentials whatsoever. It's it's so much more fun if you don't have credentials yeah, yeah, exactly. and strong opinions. It's right. great. <laughs> so, I don't know, I think, I think we'll leave, leave the bagel stuff behind Absolutely. for right now. Um, so... Your your next place after that was baked and carved, and uh, that was kind of a joint venture with uh, the guy that owned the bar. He had wanted food in his place forever. I was looking for another venture, and uh, it took a while for us to come to terms to what we wanted, what we both wanted to do, something that would meet our needs. Um, unfortunately, that's when my health took a turn. You know, I was trying to run both places. I was going to wind down one and and work into the other completely. The Systems I had set up, everything's, you know, just like the beginning of the other place, started falling apart, which you expect, and you try to get through. Yeah. But then my health just uh, collapsed. And, uh, you know, a combination of stress, it was absolutely stress, high blood pressure, working 18-hour days in two restaurants, uh, trying to keep everything afloat, you know, was, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was bad. Well, while, while Good restaurant, we're... Good, good concept, but, you know, that's... Sure. Well, let's tackle the health stuff, and then we'll get back to the restaurant, sure. which is how I got introduced to you originally. Yeah. Um, so what didn't end up happening? You have So it was, uh, let's say, the, the best description probably is a chronic issue that went unattended and became acute. Basically, I had high blood pressure on and off. Um, never had, I didn't, you know, and as a small business owner during that time period, sometimes I had health insurance, sometimes I didn't. And I really didn't go to the doctor. And I just kind of crept up on me. They call it the silent killer. And it turned into an acute matter and shut my kidneys down and yeah. they are not coming back. Yeah. So at this point I have what they call uh, end stage uh, renal disease or, you know, so it's, it's the end and I'm on uh, dialysis and I have to, uh, and I'm on a transplant list. So that's the health thing. So yeah. because of that, I had to shut the bagel shop down immediately. We tried to work out the stuff with the other place for about a, a little less than a year and it just wasn't going to fly. So I got out, and then he shut it down. Sure, because he couldn't do it much without me. So no, that, that's that's unfortunate because, yeah. um, well, I mean, it's unfortunate because that sucks in general. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, what are you going to do? But it also sucks because that was at the time, as far as I could tell, one of the only sandwich traps shops trying to do things the right way. Well, I appreciate that in too. the entire I take city. Compliments, even if they were, you know. <laughs> Even post-existence of the place. But yeah, post-existence a little that was, bit. That was my goal. Yeah. But, I mean, it was really the only sandwich shop trying to do meats from scratch, 
breads from scratch. Oh yeah, we we made the we made the unlike the bagel shop where I was, which is odd because I was buying <laughs> the dough here. I'm making all the dough, all the bread dough myself. Right. So all the different everything we made. Right. Made from scratch. But you were, I mean, the thing that was great and the thing that I was shocked that nobody was doing at the time was there was no sandwich shop making their own corned beef. I, I don't know why. I, I can't. I can't tell you why. Because it was, it's not that, I mean, I don't want to say it's not that difficult. It's not. But, um, you know, most restaurants have a system and you sure. can't apply too much labor to your work because there are specific formulas as far as costs go to know the way, you know, to, to make you successful. Um, the hard part was the fact that we knew we were going to have a concentration of business at certain times mm-hmm. so we could time it. And so that the meats came right out of the oven right before the lunch started and we were able to hold meat. And now they even have fantastic, even better technology to do this and hold it at the proper temperature and with great moisture and we would pull it right from there and we had that fancy slicer and you know you'd you'd see us make you make a a sandwich right in front of you and the bread came right out of the oven right at uh, a half an hour before lunch started the meat came out around the same time you know and we had all sorts of varieties but we usually had focused on one per day one hot meat per day and that was just the beginning this was kind of a prototype of what i wanted to do if it got big enough and we have, we're in a big enough area, wherever that would be, is that you can do this with all of your meats. Mm-hmm. You can walk into a place and you can have a roast beef, a turkey, a corned beef, whatever else you want to cook, right out of the oven that day, sitting right there, ready to be sliced up or torn, as we used to do with the turkey for your sandwiches. Sure. And for those that don't know, that was in the Salinger's on East Ave. Yeah, that was in the Salinger's. Yeah. yeah. We expanded it, had separate emphasis, but we kind of worked together. You know, we yeah. Were, we were you know, a team. And... I know it's it for, I mean, we're finally getting sandwich places that are doing things the right way, but I, I'm, I'm still, it, it's still hard for me to imagine that nobody before that, that I knew of was roasting their own meats. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it's there. It's, it's a sandwich shop. There's not that many parts of a sandwich. I think, Mar- I mean, Marty's must be doing it. I haven't they been are. in yet. But, no, I, you know, I mean, you see those guys doing the, doing it. But usually they do one or the other. Either the place focuses on bread or they focuses on, focus on the meat, and they right. never did both. Yeah. Yeah, Mar- Marty's is killing it right now, and they, they are doing that. Good. You know, they're they're making their own pastrami. They're yeah. doing their um, brisket. They're smoking meats. Their brisket is the best I know of in Rochester right now. That's fantastic. I, been, of, I have not been there, but I'm looking forward to my... Oh, as well, you should. Many visits. I, I'm. I've been telling the guys. I'm. I, they they switched over to uh to Martin's Rolls. Yeah. Out in New York. To, okay. Uh, they're oh they're famous in New York. A lot of the burger places use them. Soft roll, relatively commercial, consistent. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite. Yeah. I, I like a crusty. And don't get you know. Keep in mind, if you are going to depend on making your own bread every day. Yeah. You have to be pretty good and pretty consistent. Because oh, absolutely. If, you know, bread doesn't always turn out. Yeah. You know, there are so many variables that you can't control. Humidity, activation of the yeast, and they do things to try to control that, but that changes the flavor. You know, they, they have put all these other chemical type ingredients in there and to, to, to eliminate some of the variability, and then they ruin some of the quality. Right. So it's hard. And then, you know, to have... You know, we used to do three, maybe four different types of bread every day. And on occasion, you know, at the, we would have one that just didn't work out. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a big problem because you can't, it, bread is a minimum four-hour process, mm-hmm. start to finish. So it, it, you don't know it's not turning out sometimes until the third hour. 
and lunch mm-hmm. is starting, you know, so uh, it's then, tricky, but it can be done. Let's yeah, put it this way. Then, bunch, then you're down to bread for the day. Yeah. If a bunch much. of hacks can do it on East Avenue, you know, <laughs> someone else can do it too. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the wife and I were regulars for a while there and, you know, it, it was, it was sad when it closed for us. We, we didn't hear about, you know, the story until later on and I got a little more connected hearing about what happens at certain places, but yeah. You know, that, that was, it, it was unfortunate. And I'm glad other places have popped up that are trying to do sandwiches that really care. Um, Mar- Marty's being one. And another place worth trying is uh, the new M- McCann's over in the Southwest. I just stopped in there and bought some meat and went, yeah. did a little review of the play. And I did a uh, personal review, you know, before I went on. Uh, and it looked great. It looks like they're doing all the right. He's, he's curing his own salamis, making his own, you know, his own bacon. Smoking his own, yeah. so it's awesome. That and you see more and more of those coming up, and I like it. I like to see the, it's it's what I call the extension of the generation of people who have decided that microbrew is the best thing for that they want is what they want. So there's the you know when, when people start out with um, demanding quality and something that they're involved in, and it's happened. It was beer, and now there's hordes of them, and it's wonderful. And it's going. The natural extension of that is going to be to all the other aspects of what they consume, whether it be food or services or et cetera. And they're all going to want, I hope, local, micro, et cetera, and, yeah. that, and, and every and that to me is going to be a huge benefit, not just to us locally, but as a, an economy. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really interesting point. I hadn't heard it referred to in the terms of the microbrewery, but I mean, you look at what's happened in Rochester in just the last few years, just. An explosion. You had Rohrbach and um, we had Empire for a while, maybe before your time. They I were, think I think it was, and they I think were in they're, Syracuse, and they came here, and yeah. uh, they were big but small at the same yeah. time. A big location here with lots of beer, but all made by them. Sure, but now it's it's you know the last few years it's I, I've hearing about new ones all the time. Can't even keep up. No, it's it's I don't think anybody can. Yeah. Even the even the serious beer nerds, and I'm not. I'm learning a lot, but I'm not one of them yet. Um, I just ran across one in uh, Pittsford the other day, right on the canal there, uh, Lock 32. Heard about them? Never been, I, mean, I can't drink beer anymore because of my health, but sure, uh, I still love it. And, uh, you know, it's it's just wonderful for those who, who enjoy it. Absolutely. Uh, how can you beat this? Yeah. It, it's it, the, the selection's astounding yeah. nowadays. I mean, and I hope it extends. You know, that's what my, being a food guy, sure. what I want it to do is I want the customer and the consumer to start demanding things like you know, homemade quality products right here. Yeah. Not mass produced, cheapest as possible, cheapest possible, and uh, you know, no quality. Right. You know, I'm I'm hoping everybody's tired of that, and I hope we're going to grow out of it. Yeah. And it's always disappointing to me when you see new places open up, and they're not, they're not focusing on the basics. They're not focusing on you know, not necessarily sourcing local ingredients, but Sourcing the best ingredients for what they're trying to do. And you see, like, what McCann's, it, astounding facility. Just oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. It was wonderful to watch uh, in there. It's, 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 it's the ideal of what you would expect a meat processing facility to be. You know, big open space, stainless everything, making the sausage. You know, they're smoking and steaming and doing the hot dogs in the back. <laughs> they're dr- dry aging meat. And it's, it's a great place. But that's one thing. It's meat. Done to right. what the and, and the idea now ideals. the idea you know for a while we you know businesses have cycles demand customers customer demands have cycles and and 
one of them for a while was you wanted to go into a place and have the diner rest. You don't have uh, anything possible. And, you know, the only way to do that is to buy from mass producers and offer them and, you know, on the menu. And the new and, and it probably worked for a while on the uh, as a business model. Sure. But now the business model doesn't work like that. And the and what the, you see happening <laughs> is people f- just doing a few things very well. And that's where the success will be. Don't overextend yourself. Don't try to do too much, but just do what you are going to do and do it really well. Mm-hmm. And let the neighbor do the next eight things. You know, that's kind of the magic number, eight to 10. Yeah. Eight to 10 really, really good items that you do the best you can and let the guy next door take care of the next eight and then down the block. Then, you know, that, and that's, that seems to be working as a better business model. Hopefully they can make it. You know, like I say, there's a lot of different aspects to that model that need to be tweaked. Of based course. on uh, all the other changes that go on in the environment, in our economy, but it's it's such a take on an old thing, right? Because that's what it used to well, be. It used to be cyclical. Yeah, it's it's the shoemaker, the leather guy, then somebody else who cared about cared about raising the animals and doing other stuff. And you see farmers doing the same thing. Yeah, although I, I, no, I actually they're the kind of going part. the other way. Instead of you know for a long time they were doing single crops, and now farmers are diversifying again. Yeah, uh, or in a good way. You know, two crops this year, switch it over to these two crops. Right. Um, you know, so the soil can rest. You can pull different nutrients, et cetera. I think that's part of their, their process. Which, yeah, uh, and especially, you know, the, the complete family farms nowadays, you know, they're utilizing animals. It's a, it's a true, it's a symbiotic relationship where the animals are helping the land, the land's growing the products. Everything works back together to make, you know, an actual sustainable, sustainable that, farm. Yeah, that's the goal. But to get a, well, any any chance we can to get away from the current system of the mass farming, and the only way to make money is to to do that. Right. We're, you know, we're going to be better off. I think everybody, most people, start to agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and taking one step back, small menu. When I see big menus, I immediately start to to dislike the place. No, you should. Well, it's it, it, you it just can't, it just can't work. It. it just can't work. How can you a, do it really well? How can you right. do that many things really well? The same thing when you walk into a place and it's too bright and shiny, okay? Because <laughs> here's the deal. You're going to spend X amount of dollars creating the place. Yeah. And you're going to have to get that money back in the price of your food. So within the cost or profit, whichever way you want to call that, within the, you know, the money that you spend above and beyond the actual cost of producing that food is going to be rent, you know, rents and, and, and dorm, you know, profits for the owners and whatever else you have going on in the facility. So if it's, we, you know, when you go into those places that have thousands of things to distract you on the wall and it's we, a lot of money put into the appearance of the place, but your price points don't match and are way, aren't very high, you got to start to wonder how, how, how much quality is being, you know, the food is. That's interesting. That's so, a good point. You know, and, and it's a real, it's a model. I mean, the, the numbers, unfortunately, don't lie. You know, there's the creative part of it and then there's the mathematical part. And you got to, you have to be pretty good with both you have yeah. to have a good understanding of both sides of that right and especially as a you know a i don't know what you'd call it but a creator owned business you know as a you know you you weren't a necessarily a you know a, a businessman who owned the thing and you just gave right. everything to someone else you were the guy making you know yeah, breaking my, his back my, doing the work my passion was in the food right and i went to business school so right. i was like well i can do both you know i can kind right. of combine these things right which is yeah <laughs> Good and bad. Don't get me wrong. There's no, some positives and negatives on that end. Yeah, you're fighting yourself all the time. Uh, every to... day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
we're gonna switch switch a little bit here. Uh, we have a, a mutual friend slash acquaintance who uh, his name's not out there, but he's the Rochester pizza guy. Oh yeah, 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 um, pizza guy. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I there there was uh, at least one story on the website with him involved. Yeah, which, which yeah. I enjoyed. Okay, good. I, I'm I, glad. I'm I, glad. I got. I'm a little worried at times because it <laughs> it, it could cross into offensive for some. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm not that person. Good. Uh, good. I'm not that person, which is one reason why I assumed we'd probably get along. <laughs> um, you know, he, he I, I love, the, the reason I bring him up is I, I love people with this crazy passion about one topic. It doesn't matter. As long as you care about something, I'm interested in what you're doing. And he just, just one of those guys, he's been reviewing Pete's for what? It has to be like six years I now, I think it right? is, yeah. Six or seven years now, Rochester area pizza almost exclusively what he's written about. Yeah, he extends it a little bit on his travels, but it really is a regional, you know, local slash regional. Yeah. And, you know, it's not pushed. It's on the, I think it's still on a blog spot. Yeah, I think and he it's, is. it's exactly what it is. It's nothing more, it's nothing less, and he will just not stop. I, I, <laughs> I can tell you this, and uh, he may not like the fact that I'm going to say this, but, you know, because we're friends and because we've, we've done stuff, I know that he may be reaching a limit yeah. where it becomes <clears throat> difficult to continue and you wonder, you know, should I, you know, is there a time when it should come to an end Yeah, and take a break? And then if he wants to venture into something else, maybe he can do that. So, you know, you, and you have to, you know, that's, that's part of any, let's just look at him as a business, even though I'm sure it's not something that produces a great deal of revenue for right. him, but you have to know when it's time. And some, you know, that's a big, big uh, decision, and it's not easy. Yeah, especially and whether it's to sell and let someone else kind of try to carry it on to the next level, or whether it's just time to wrap it up. Yeah, I'm not saying it is for him, uh, but I know that he's giving it some thought. You know, it's stress on family, stress on life. Sure. Uh, what do I want to do with my time? And right. That kind of thing. Well, he's also done. I mean, how many places oh can God. you cover, and how many of them are just shit? I mean, I, never, I, I, I mean, he's very good about he's very not diplomatic. saying it. Yeah, and that's and you should be. I mean, well, yes, I shouldn't say that, but it's good because you you know you don't want to bash people. They're putting their life's effort into some of these things, and yeah, uh, you know, the one thing I re, I always advocate for when people open up a small business in the food area is to even though some will say that I wasn't, um, I didn't apply this rule to myself, but I, I did. <laughs> is that you, you're going to need to make some small changes. You know, you're going to make, you're going to have some uh, successes and some failures on a daily basis, and you need to make some adjustments and you need to make some moves, and you got to know which are which. That's it's not that cut and dry. It's not like, oh, look, all of these are selling, and that isn't selling, and then you so you just cut that out. Right. Or people don't must not like that. You know, there are things that draw them in and draw their attention, but they won't buy. Mm. But it gets them there, and uh, you know, lost leaders is one of the technical terms they use for it, but. Uh, so it, it's not only making that decision to alter, it's identifying what the appropriate alteration is. Sure. So there's your technical part of it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love it's, I, I love the technical side of things. I love all that no, I'm stuff. I'm sure you do as an engineer. Right? Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, that, that's interesting, and it, I think that is a good point. When, when do you know when it's time? When do you know when to modify? Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll probably reach out to the guy if he decides not to do anymore. He wants to throw one out there every so often. I got a place for him. Yeah, sure. He's a great guy. And you know, it's I, I love that. And like I was saying he's tackled so many places. And you know, it's one of the you know we have a mutual love for pizza, and we've been out a couple times just 
you know, just chatting about random places and we went out for pizza. Yeah, that's great. It, it was a lot of fun for to meet a guy with that much just time and effort spent on the topic. Pretty, and pretty impressive. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Ugh, man. So now we talked, I mean, I, I know you've got a lot of strong opinions about food. So where, 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 where are your, where are the places that you go? Where are your favorite places right now? I, I don't know if I have favorite places. Yeah. Okay. I, and I'm a little leery to identify them. Sure. Places I go, but I'm going to tell you that the, the, this is what I like. Okay. Because it kind of covers everything. I want to go. When I went to Pittsburgh to visit a good friend of mine, he said, "Hey, let's go out to dinner." And I'm like, "Okay." I said, "This is my only. This is my restriction. I want somebody in the kitchen cooking the food. And I mean from scratch. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's you know hot dogs and burgers or whatever. I want some, I want you to want to go to a place where somebody is there who has a passion for food." And I don't care what level it is, and I don't care what the price point is. I just, that's all I want. Somebody who's doing something. And and we're getting more and more of that all the time here. Yeah. Whether it's food trucks because of the econ- the uh, economics of the situation. Of course. And the transferability of the of the investment, which is huge. Um, or, you know, small guys doing something in small areas or waiting for rents to come down so that you're, the price that you have to pay for the facility fits into that business model you and I talked about once uh you know so anything like that that's all that's really all i care about uh, uh joe bean coffee sure. or poor guys who love coffee mm-hmm. uh, i'm going to a place like that guy who loves making hot dogs or i mean i can't eat hot dogs because of health but the, that that's the kind of place i want sure that's it i don't yeah. want anything else so uh i target that i think it's an admirable goal and really what i care about this right time. and i yeah so and and you know and look to say I, you know, so this guy, this place is good or this place is bad, I don't like to do that because when you're putting that much effort and work into a place, you're going to have some. You know, consistency is is your is what you fight all the time. You always want it, but you can't push limits and cr- be creative and have consistency. Also, mm-hmm. if you want to be consistent and have the same product, you might as well fr- you know freeze dry it, package it up, and be an Applebee's. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just want to see people making a good, solid effort. Yeah. yeah, I do love that point of view. I mean, of course, you know, we all have our you know favorites and everything, but it's, right. from a general perspective, absolutely right. Yeah. So that's kind of my that's my opinion. Yeah. There's an interesting thing too now, and I, and I'll, this is there's a couple stories that identify that in my website. Mm. Um, there was a time, you know, that you you see these uh, these patterns, these waves, these trends, and in the '90s. In 2000s, uh, you know, there was this trend that um, you're not going to mess with the chef's food. Kind of that soup Nazi-ish thing. Mm-hmm. This is what I made. Don't mess with it. All right? You're not getting, you know, they finer restaurants were, were refusing salt on, on tables. Sure. And uh, no changes, no alterations. And we have a couple places that are sticking to that theory. We still do have a few places, yeah. But frankly, it's, it's offensive now. Mm. And I'll tell you why. It's because we've grown and developed so much, in my opinion, that a really good guy in the kitchen will say, tell me what you, like when you go to New York, the waiter will tell you, tell me what you want. We'll make it. You know, and, and, and it's the attitude is that we're so good and we're so confident. If we have the stuff in the back, we'll make it. It doesn't mean we'll make something horrible and we're not going to put together something offensive. Right. But we're, you know, so there, that's kind of the new arrogance is we can do anything. You tell me what you want. Not on the menu? Tell me. And that's where this next level seems to be going. So, you know, you get that 
that that little change, which yeah. is pretty interesting. To that me. creative immediacy too, and the abilities. Yeah. yeah, you know, when you just got a guy that's, uh, you know, following orders in the kitchen, and you know, you've got these price points and cost structures, you can't do that. But guys, you know, the the nicer, smaller places can. And right. That's, that's kind of the I hope to be the next uh, level. Yeah, and there's definitely some people trying to do that kind of stuff right now. Oh yeah, know? we have. Especially, some, especially when you know, great chefs here. It, it helps when you it helps when you know somebody and they're willing to play the creative on you, because mm-hmm. um, it's it's hard to serve that to the general public always, you know, because it's it's risky, it's it's harder. Right, it's and they're not happy. Do what do you do when a guy says, "Well, I ordered this. You ordered that. You're not happy with it. Well, right. Choose better next time. We're gonna tell you. You know, <laughs> you know, if you, if you don't think you have enough confidence in what you like, how about picking something that I put together on the menu? Right. You know, that's kind of that's and that's the better attitude rather sure. than no. Hey, look, we did it all the time. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. We we, we had a rule, and partly marketing, and partly for our own entertainment, and partly because it was wrong. And <laughs> my buddy still gets gives me grief about it because I would never put cheese on a chicken salad sandwich. Yeah, I, I loved that. Absolutely not. And and then and when they would ask, I'd say, look, it's you know, I try to be nice in the beginning. It's more like a Waldorf salad. It's got sure. uh, nuts and it's got raisins. And frankly, you, you're going to choose American cheese. And and if there was going to be a cheese, that's the most vile thing to put on it. And I'm not <laughs> doing it because I didn't come. He- this is my theory. I didn't come here at 5:30 in the morning and make all these fresh products so you could violate it with your bad taste. Right. And I'm not doing it. Yeah. And they don't have to. <laughs> I think it's a great point. Oh, it used to be fights, and arguments, <laughs> and the scenes. And oh, yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> and, of course, a lot, of, a lot of people who are very opinionated about what they want. Right. And then, you know, you get the guy in a really nice suit. He's going to challenge the scrubby guy. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's probably going to be. It's not going to end well, buddy. That's all I <laughs> Well, those are the people who are prone to do it, though, because they know best. They, I mean, they, yeah, they, like they, don't, the they don't think they know. They know that they know. They know that, yeah. yeah. And what's yeah. the next line? Well, they really don't know all that they don't know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so you mentioned Pittsburgh. I was there not that long ago myself. Um, two, three weeks ago. Any Anywhere interesting? I can't remember. It was a while ago. <laughs> I hate to say it. I, can't, I forgot the name. Uh, my friend lives there. He's the, a good friend of mine from college, and I am registered for a transplant there, and mm. I anticipate when I go, um, I'll be there for two months, so he's. I'm going to basically stay with him. And oh, that's family. awesome. So, yeah, that's uh, but he's got some, you know, great little, you know, uh, nooks that we go to and try out. So it's it's, a, it's you know, a cool town. Oh yeah, they're doing a great job over there. Very very uh, advanced, you know, sure. uh, in this kind of new this new economy. When you see kind of you know the transition, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Rochester, very different cities, and we're all transitioning food wise and just life wise. Yeah, they're doing a they're going faster. Buffalo's doing a great job too. Yeah, but Pittsburgh's going really fast. Yeah, they're, the high tech too. When my my friend we were down visiting, you know, her husband works for Google in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and that's my buddy lives huge. right near there. That big huge complex they're putting yeah. up. So and it's amazing. Investing tons of money in there. Yeah. When you see what's happening in Buffalo, the that uh, Elon Musk guy is building the one of the biggest solar. Solar related factories in the, oh, I didn't in the know, world. I didn't hear about that. I didn't remember. Yeah, about I think it. it's That's a, awesome. I think it's a battery factory, maybe panels. I'm not sure. And he's doing it in Buffalo. Yeah, in the Buffalo area. It's one of the biggest factories in the world for that stuff. Trying to well, dominate you know, once, the market. Once the, once the economy collapses to a certain point, prices go down and uh, things change. You know, yeah. they have to make changes, whether it's the price of the property, whether it's labor costs, whether it's the government giving you tax incentives. You know, they, they, you wait for it to bottom out, and then you go in. Sure. It's the same theory for a restaurant. If you read Danny Meyer's book that we talked about, yeah, yeah. You know, you'll look for that area that you think that people are about to start reinvesting in, and you get in there, and that's, the, and that's where you want to put your restaurant because you get the lowest prices, 
um, increase market flow over the next you know, projections over the next few years sure. and, uh, you know, the trendy neighborhoods. Yeah. So that's what they're looking for. When you also build that uh, customer base and stability from that too, when you're the only sure. game in town. Right, right. You're the only game there. People, people are dedicated to you because they can't not. And it, it, it makes makes a huge difference when you have that dedicated clientele that just won't go away. And they're, they're no matter happy, what you do. Yeah, you're they're happy you're there because there isn't anybody else and yeah. you've taken the risk, so it helps build it. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so you know, I, I know you got you got some places to be. Yeah, I got a little time. I, yeah. I just do I need to check. But so we talked about you have strong opinions. Do you have? I don't care the topic. I don't care if it's food. I don't care if it's anything. Do you have a Do you have a gripe that's on your mind recently that you're that you're interested in? That's oh, man. going one direction or the and other. Then, you know, all the kind of the uh, topical issues are, are are pretty big now. You There's know, tons of them, like Scalia and his crazy commentary. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm not on his side. And uh, yeah, it, it was uh, kind of kind of uh, old, very old manish, wasn't it? Uh, Where's the cogent arguments that I was expecting out of the guy? You know, if you have an opinion and it doesn't, and it's not in the majority, whatever, whether it's three guys sitting in a pub or you know the, the Supreme Court, uh, what's with the fit? Yeah, and, you know, come on, what's with the hissy fit? You right. Know, that, that was, so, I mean, all kinds of those crazy things. So I don't, I don't know what they're what they're going on. <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, I shake my head. I take my like a, I, my part of my health regimen as I walk. Yeah, and you know, sometimes it's to clear my head of all the all the things going on, you know, and sometimes you nod and say, oh, thank God this is going on, you know, because, right. you, you know, I hate to say that it's because it's with with what you agree with as an individual, but at least let's say there's going to be strong, good, solid arguments. Right. Uh, and on both sides, and then something's going to prevail. But that doesn't always seem to be the case anymore. And that, that pisses me off, I yeah. gotta tell you. You know, and if you're in, in uh, as I, I've been telling some friends, because I finally started reading Noam Chomsky. And I cannot believe I haven't read Noam Chomsky all, all these years, but you know he takes kind of a, I mean, and I don't I don't proclaim to know anything about the guy's writing except what I've recently read. But sure. you know this whole idea of looking at every situation from a bigger perspective, and in the larger picture, in a comparative state, and kind of logically, we just don't do that anymore. You know everything has got to be right to the right to the end. You know you've got to find the superlative. And that just fucking pisses me off. You know what else? <laughs> and I'll give you the other thing that pisses me off too is that every but people think everything has to be black and white, right? Like you got to say, well, I don't agree with one point of this, therefore everything you do is wrong, right? When did that happen? God forbid there be a gray area, right? Or where how life about, exists, right? How, or, or that you think on your own and say, well, look, it, just because there's a group that you know proclaims all of these tenets, I don't, and I don't agree with one of them, doesn't mean I have to agree, disagree with all of them. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's your there's your rant for the say good. I, I knew there, I knew there was one in you. There's a lot in there. We're gonna be nice, <laughs> sort of. You know. We talked about that. No, that's that's good. <laughs> what about you? What do you got? You got anything for me? Oh God, there's Come always on, you guy. You gotta have something. There's always something. Uh, it's you know it's for me. I think Lisa was bugging me recently was buzzwords for the sake of buzzwords that come across as altruistic, but don't they 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 cover up what the real what the real end goals well, uh, are? How often can we no longer express an opinion, right? And without being categorized. When how often can you when you say, "Hey, you know, we're we're buzzwording this up," you know, it's all about you know about this. It's about community and inspiration and this and that. And you're not you're not telling me the other part. And 
maybe maybe I'm seeing that it's hey, there's money involved here. You're making money off of us. Man, what, what is, I hate to, I hate to refer to this again, but uh, uh, you know Chomsky and the anarchist in me says uh, that's manufacturing consent. Sure, and that's what you use right. propaganda buzzwords, uh, inclusiveness. Uh, you know, find one thing in a group of ideas that they don't like, so they can dis- discount the rest of them. Sure, and you know, in in general, I'm okay with I'm getting a product for free. They're making money off of me. I understand that, and they're, I know they're there to make money, so I'm I'm okay with it. It's just for the people that aren't realizing it and are buying into it and follow be- follow it relatively blindly. It, that's bothersome. Well, keep everybody busy and occupied. Like keep them distracted. Yeah. And you can get through what you want to get through. Yeah. I mean, how I love, I love a lot of the free products that they take my information they use and make money. Yeah. I use Google everything. I right. use and the they, other they, stuff. They and it's do. great. They do it, right. They find a way. Right. You just don't know it and it's not coming directly out of you. You just get, you're getting targeted right. for You said for you, you can't sell your data for that much, right. but they, they can. They do. In masses. it's huge, yeah. Yeah, when you have that much data, you can sell for anything you want. <laughs> you want? By the way, I'm going to give you another one because you like the you like the contentious issues, right? Sure, of course. Why not? All right. Somebody needs to explain macroeconomics to the city of Rochester because they're really aggravating me. Oh, interesting. Okay, there. This is a topic that I have stories in the making of. Writing awesome. That you know, I'm just you know, because what I do is I write pieces and pieces. And then when a kind of a whole idea comes together, I push them all together and I make this. So before, so, before you finish, that's on food and stories.com. Thank you. I forget. <laughs> I can't I keep forgetting to plug myself, man. <laughs> Go uh, ahead. All right. So, um, there's a macroeconomic concept about, uh, raising revenue through penal sources, through penalizing your consumer, your constituents, mm-hmm. rather than you know, and everything. I guess any revenue is almost uh, you know is, is penalizing them, you know, taxation, et cetera. But we 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 are aware of that. But this crap they're pulling with, which starts with parking tickets, because mm-hmm. first of all, we don't have enough demand in the city, and I fought with these people for twenty years over this. But now they're starting to boot cars for the red light cameras. Oh yeah, yeah. So well, they're starting to boot cars now. They're didn't booting hear that. cars for not for non-payment of two red. Li- I read this in the red light cameras, and I because I walk all the time. I've been noticing an enormous number of these boots, which are just they violate my whole moral structure. Yeah. Not to mention, yeah, yeah those who will ask, I have been booted because I forgot to pay my tickets. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, that was my own fault, sure. and I did it, and I was mad as hell. But more importantly to me is the idea of where does that money go? So most of it leaves a community. At least 50% of that money goes to that Arizona company. The money goes to an Arizona company to process all of these red light camera stuff. So I'm like, wait a minute. You're raising some money from your people and your community, but you're sucking out 50% of that and sending it out of state or to some other area. That is just bad macroeconomics. Yeah. You I mean, why do you think they and then they turn around and spend all this money on trying to sorry city people, but you know my opinions, you know the the people there. Um all this money on trying to generate interest in tourism. Mm-hmm. Because they understand that side of the macroeconomics, which is if you bring money in from outside and they leave it here, then it gets spent over and over again. Sure. When you remove money from here, then it can't be spent here and it can't generate additional yeah. revenue. Although, and it just makes people irritated and oh, want yeah. to stay out of the city. Yeah. And that drives me nuts. Yeah. And so uh, there, there's another rant for you if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll throw one more out there just because it's uh, relatively topical. And it, it 
it didn't really come up as much this year. I, it, it brought up a lot of controversy last year was um, uh, Rachel Barnhart's comments about the Jazz Fest online last year. Yeah. Asking yeah. the questions about, you know, where where is all the money going? How much is the city spending? Are they really making money? Is it worth it in the long term? I mean, to me, that... that where do the tickets go? I loved those questions. There's some... Po- I and mean, again, it's not all positive and negative with the city. Oh, sure. Festival. Those guys have br- done wonderful things. They bring a ton of money into the community. I think the net gain has got to be positive. And if you're going to nitpick about where every other dollar goes, even though they're all staying local... Sure. You know, hey, look, there's always some, there are always going to be some things that people can do that with. And sure. they may be justified, but the overall effects of that jazz fest, right. I'm afraid, has still been pretty positive. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I hope it is. And, I'm, and it probably is. I'd love for them to prove it to me. Eh, you know, yeah. to, to a point. I, I don't need them to prove everything. Right. But when, you know, when their tickets are going to people and this and that, I, I at least I, I loved that somebody questioned it. Yeah. And it riled okay, people well, up. That's all right. And sometimes riling people up was, it almost seems like it's kind of riling people the up for the pro- sake of riling people up, but. There's there's a positive and a negative. You know, I think you've identified the positive. Yeah. And sometimes the negative ends up to be what we call LCD. Um, it brings in policies that only go to, the, that, that appeal and maintain the lowest common denominator. Right. And, um, you know, that's partially what laws and re- regulations are. Unfortunately, they can have a very detrimental effect. So you got to balance those two things. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to end this on a non-food topic, so. It's all right. That it's happens. Good. You know, we have lots to talk about. There's a lot. You've got a lot of food people that come on here. Yes. I assume. Yeah, uh, I try to. The ones to. that I read, you know, listened to, and it was all great. Uh, yeah. You know, a little self-promotion, a little, hey, what's going on? Yeah, exactly. And I, I'd rather I'd rather have a good conversation than necessarily talk about food the whole time, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's awfully but. subjective, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I'm really glad I got a chance to spend some time Thanks with you. Thanks for and, you know calling me out in the jazz fest. You know, saying, yeah, we, hey, we were walking around. Right. Yeah, so so yay for the jazz fest. We ended up meeting, That's right. walking exactly. the streets, another random internet meeting, and but you know I think it's I've mentioned it before, and it's the way you have to do things nowadays. You got to be able to stop somebody and say, hey, I know you from the internet. Let's talk. Let's let's be let's be real life. And let's uh, yeah, introduce let's each try other. It out. Yeah, especially when you you know there's so much follow up you can do. Sure. You know you knew about the stuff that I've been doing, and then you were told me about yours, and I and I had read your byline in the city newspaper, so I sure. immediately knew who you were. And then, frankly, I didn't know about all this stuff. Right. So it was like, oh, wonderful! I get to follow through with something because there's so much out there. Right. You know, it gives me a motivation personally to to go look at this and uh, and also the other. Your friends, Chris's uh, play, uh, website, which oh, yeah. is awesome too. You know, I was like, oh, this is great too. Yeah, he's he's doing some great stuff. It's and. As a reference, Chris Clemens from Exploring Upstate. Yeah. He'll probably be on the podcast next week or the week after. Um, but it's, you know, there's a lot of us trying to do interesting things. And it's just a different way of putting it out there. You know, we, we don't own a business, but we we can put information yeah, out there. And we the try new, to publicize. This you is know? the new way. Yeah. You know, and you got to learn about it. It's out there. Absolutely. Well, you're out there on foodandstories.com. Thank you. So find Thanks John Vito out there and re- seriously read the stories. They're awesome. And give you some insight into the restaurant world that you might not have had before. And also just really interpersonal relationships and some really interesting stuff. So thanks for coming on, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is great.